just happy I cut it now. <laughs> yeah, that would have been rough in an hour. Yeah, I, I think the longest, and it's cool we're recording. Uh, I think the longest I've done that was like 15 minutes. Okay, well it's, that's not it, that bad. It's harsh. I was able to correct it, but it's still harsh because you hear like a transformation of fucking like sound. Yeah. People will watch a shitty video with good audio, yeah. but they won't watch a good video with shitty true, audio. True, very true, very so, true. You got to make sure that's right. So I just hit the record. I had forgotten. We were talking about Santa Clarita, how it's blowing up in the last 15 years. The reason I bring up like 15 years is because I used to work for a Harley Davidson dealer, uh, Van Nuys, old school. And long story short, they, they, got, they had to move out of their, uh, out of the Van Nuys location because it was new ownership of the building and the business. Mm-hmm. And they were going to get a property in uh, Cascade. Okay. Cascade? Yeah, Castic. Yeah. Castic. And Harley was only approving locations off the freeway. So because they were an old place, Van Nuys was cool, but for the new place, they had to be in Castic uh, off the five. Yep. So they bought the land, and right when they were going to build, they found like some stupid insect or something that they said, hey, you guys can't build here. You know, this is an, oh, wow. an extinct blah, 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 yeah. blah. So long story short, they had an emergency move to Santa Clarita. Yep, yep. And in, and, and back then, I, I had no idea what the fuck Santa Clarita was. Like, yep. I'm like Valley dude here. Like Unless you live there or know someone, it's like, where is that? Especially back then. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Newhall, Santa Clarita, et cetera. Yep. And I worked out there for about 28 days, and I was like, dude, this is too fucking far. You yep. know, especially when I was like so close to Van Nuys. And, and I stopped. And then a couple buddies of mine, they bought a house, and they got like a good, well, I mean, it was a fair deal back then. Well, yeah. It was a good deal. And now I went to visit, and I'm, like, seeing these fucking beautiful, like, almost mansion-styled homes yeah. and brand new and modern and big parking lots and driveways. And I'm like, this is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a cool, like, it, it's always been a cool town. That's where our first, my, my first gym, my first business started out of. So, um, you know, I'll always have roots there. But it is, you know, it's kind of a complex town is you have a lot of people because there's not a lot of social stuff to do it's a weird dynamic that you don't see in a normal city. Like our gyms turn into like a social atmosphere because there isn't a lot of socializing to do. So you see different aspects that we don't see in other franchises in that, that part of the city also is because it's grown a lot and it does look beautiful. You get, I think more competing with the Joneses. So you'll have a lot of people that have expensive homes, big homes, but are running on a shoestring budget. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics of that town because it's this town just kind of off the beaten path you don't have like a lot of nightlife and other stuff like that so it's kind of created its own kind of unique culture that's a little bit different than uh, than we see in our other franchises or other areas and cities that we're in yeah and, and everybody has toys yeah everybody has dirt bikes motorcycles boats yeah. rafts jeeps which can also vehicles. explain why the shoestring budget because right <laughs> you know it's especially in this day and age you have to be doing pretty good to have a big home and a bunch of the toys, but yeah, it's definitely a big area for that because there isn't a lot else to do. So you don't have a lot of regular kind of going out and being social. So that is, they find something else social, which is usually a toy. Uh, you're here today uh, because, because of Rob, Rob told yep. me about you and uh, I've been following your page. How would you introduce yourself? I, I, I know you, you race cars, you have cool cars. You talked about gyms, coaching, yeah. How do you introduce yourself? What's your role? Yeah, um, I don't know. Like, you know, it, I guess it depends on who I'm introducing myself to. But yeah, the, the in the bodybuilding world, I was a two-time top 10 world-ranked pro bodybuilder. And um, in kind of the fitness industry, we have a nutraceutical line. We have an international gym franchise that started back in like 2007, 2008. So um, we have that. And then, you know, in the car world, I have a bunch of different cars. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my main thing is, is normally kind of just 
preaching about kind of business mindset and stuff like that. So personally, that's the stuff that I really love. I fell in love with entrepreneurship because I grew up super broke and it felt like there was no way to kind of live this other life. I remember I had a Countach poster. I traded my friend these micro machines for this white Countach poster. Micro machines. Yeah. Fuck, I remember that. the micro machines? Oh, they were they were coveted, but I traded these these micro machines for this this Countach poster. And I remember it felt like that was in a different world because I'd never even seen one. I'd never touched one. When I bought my first Ferrari, that was the first Ferrari I'd ever sat in. I didn't know anyone that owned one. I'd never been in, been for a ride in one. So entrepreneurship's always been this really cool thing to me that no matter where you're at, what what past you have, it's this gateway to be able to live any life that, that you really want to live. So, so, so what? Okay, let's talk about your background. You, you, you broke. You 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 grew. You were raised broke. Yeah. Right. Uh, what snaps? What snaps? And the only reason I ask that is because you know. I, I, I was raised broke. I lived yeah. in ghettos after ghettos, apartment buildings and, and all that. But the amount of people that I see that get out of that or have that mentality broken, it, it's it's very few. Yeah. And part of that is that now, just recently, I'm like, holy shit, man, that school system really brainwashes you and limits you and be afraid of the police and stay in between the lines and don't go outside and you don't want to take risk and the job's the best way. Yep. How did, what, what were the signs of, of you breaking through all this? Yeah, I mean, I think I hit rock bottom. I ended up with two felonies. I was a high school dropout. And I always had this kind of idea that I was worth more and capable of more. But they just, I, I was disappointing myself. I was making bad decisions. But where did that mentality come from? Of expecting more. Or expecting more. And my you really dad. Your worth. Yeah, yeah. so my, my mom and dad both were. But my dad was the one that was like almost to a corny point. He had so many sayings and he was very persistent. He, he was very clear on what it was to be a man, what it was to be successful. And he was kind of a hippie, but he was also very uh, kind of a traditional, I guess, masculine type of man. But he was very much like, this is what it looks like. You know, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but you should be happy. And if you're not happy, you get the fuck up and you go do what needs to be done to make yourself happy. You know, he always said, you're not, I don't ever want to hear you say things aren't fair. He goes, life's never fair or easy. So never sit there and say something's not fair because you sound ridiculous. Life isn't fair. So he had like all these sayings that were annoying when I was a kid. But then when I got older, I realized those things really shaped how I thought. One of the things that was super crucial was was can't was considered a bad word in the house. My dad had a corny saying that said, if you take off the T, you have can. And I hated that saying because it was no. so corny and stupid. But what I didn't realize is I never said can't. So I was always trying things that other people might not attempt. I was going out of my way to do things that other people would count themselves out for. But because I never even thought of can't, everything was always a can. So right. I think those things kind of shaped me to believing I was worth more and capable more, but I just wasn't there yet. And and I had to become the man that was capable of actually accomplishing those things. And that, that was, I'm sorry, that was your father or stepfather? Father. Father. Yeah. So you're, 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 you had your father the whole time. I had my father up until high school. Well, my, my father, my mom and dad separated when I was like nine, but my dad was around all the time. So he was a very strong figure. And then by high school, my dad and I didn't have a good relationship and he basically, it had been exposed that he had had drug issues and other stuff that just became prevalent when I got older. Um, he was part of the movie industry. And so like, you know, years ago, cocaine was rampant, you know, in the, the, the movie industry. And so him as a dolly operator and camera operator, he got just addicted to, to drugs. And so that's kind of where I started to run into problems is I had this really strong male role model. My, my dad's best friend taught me boxing when I was young. My dad, it was a prerequisite. We, I had to go to martial arts. That was like brushing your teeth. He's like, you're going to want those teeth later, just like you're going to want to be able to defend yourself. Like those are just things that you're going to do. So he always instilled these things that were just, I think, really crucial to developing me. And then by that point, my mom moved in with my stepdad and he was just a different individual that was not the same type of role model. And, uh, 
I just started kind of going down down a different path that just wasn't good. Why? What? What? What was it that that knocked you off the tracks? Yeah, I think the first what, 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 day was it not as motivating, or was he not as the first day that we went up to his house. So he's he's in Lake Elizabeth, and so that's just outside Santa Clarita, up in the hills. So it's like a half hour away from me, but like a little grocery like store. Rock in, yeah. So yeah, for motorcycles, people know that area for sure. Yeah. So we we moved from Simi Valley up there. And it was a day before high school. I didn't know anybody. Um, Palmdale, Lancaster, where I went to school, was a much rougher area. Much, much rougher area. Even area. now. Back then was crazier. Yeah, yeah, it was but crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah. so it was such a, sh- a culture shock. And the first day that I went up there, I had this little um, YZ60 dirt bike. And he, my stepdad said, hey, you can ride it around on the dirt trails, but you can't ride it on the street. So I said, okay. So he came, he came driving up, and he told my mom that he had seen me riding it up and down the street, which wasn't true he ripped off the spark plug wire and caused this big scene this is the first day i'm at this dude's house too and i'm like you're not my dad and you're ripping my dirt bike apart um and my mom sided with him and up until just a few years ago my mom and i had a conversation where i said hey just to bring this up like so you know that was never true like that was he from the beginning was manipulating you so i was like i was a big mama's boy i was close with my dad but my mom is who i primarily primarily lived with so, like, we would watch TV all day together. Like, I was very close with my mom. So, as soon as this guy stepped in and my mom stopped believing me, that kind of, like, drove me to a weird place where I was like, okay, I don't have a relationship with my mom. My dad's a drug addict. Like, I think that that started to just kind of shift me. And then the school was really hard. In a short period of time, I ended up in my first fight. I got in trouble because that kid got hurt. Just a lot of stuff, like, just started going in a direction. Yeah. And then also, is I think a lot of the time people don't realize, in those settings, when you're in kind of more poverty – People, the reward system through socially is through dominance. Like if, if when I got in that fight, all of a sudden girls liked me, guys wanted to be friends with me. And I was like, this is how this works. Okay. So smack that guy around. And all of a sudden these people, like they like me, they respect me. And so you that, stand out. Right. So that, especially in those rougher areas. So that kind of social reward system, I think really skewed me. I started to have this idea of like, oh, I got this figured out. Like, this is cool. Um, and it took a while to kind of break that as well. That's crazy. So then you drop out. Then what do you do? You, what, you looked for a job and started working? or Yeah, at 16, I got my first job um, at 24-Hour Fitness. You had to be 18 at the time. So I had moved out, and yeah, I want to say I was, I was 16. I moved out, and I ended up using my roommate's cousin's military ID because he looked like me. So I ended up using his ID. I got hired at 24-Hour Fitness as a trainer. Um, I took the bus to work and I tried to go to school and that just didn't work. And I didn't like school anyways. I hated it. So, um, I dropped out and just worked at the gym and continued trying to make money. And that's basically just, I continued through fitness, you know, one gym after another in, in kind of that setting. So I don't lose this question, uh, cause we're going to continue the, how you got into business and the, yeah. fr- you know, owning franchises now, right? Yeah. Uh, as of right now, any regret dropping out of, dropping out of a high school? Um, I mean, it's hard to have, have a regret because I do believe that everything that you experience makes you who you are. And I'm, I'm proud of who I am today. So I think that path led me there. Um, you know, by the time I was done, I was, I was a year uh, ahead. So I was younger than the kids in my class. So by the time I dropped out, I was, it was already in my, into my senior, going into my senior year. So I'd already completed pretty much all of school anyways. And I had good grades. The main thing was truancies. I didn't show up. I never showed up to school. So it was one of those things where I felt like I had taken, it's not like I dropped out in sixth grade. I felt like I'd taken what school had given me. And I honestly, 
I was told always that I had bad ADHD, and so which I'm sure that I do. And I don't think that they're equipped to understand how to educate somebody that has ADD because I believe it's like a superpower when you understand it. Now it's like I harness it and focus it. If you give me something, it goes in the back of my head, and I'll think about that nonstop for a week, and I'll call you and be like, hey, I have a solution. There's certain benefits to that, but it just made me feel feel pretty stupid, and especially in classes that I didn't like, I just really could, didn't want to pay attention. And so I just felt like I've taken as much as I can from Yeah, this. you lose interest. Yeah. I, I, I have a four-year-old right now, and I, I'm so picky with him that we, we do rating time and math time and yep. you know, all this other all this stuff. And and he reads, like, dude, and he reads better than when I was, like, six, seven yep. years old. I'm like, and the problem is he's in he's in PK or pre-K two, and he's with his cousin, and and he gets into trouble. He starts fighting with his cousin, but it's because he's bored. Because yep. they're teaching basic, like, oh, look, water's full, yeah, water's yeah. empty, empty full. And he's like, I already know this. It's like, dude, like, you know, yeah, he's doing, like, multipli- not multiplication, but he's doing adding and subtracting. And I'm like... I'm frustrated because I, I, I know he's going to get bored and I know what that pattern leads to if, he yeah. if he's not being challenged. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it is that two things. Thing, One is being challenged and being interested. It's like you have to like, I still believe you have to learn stuff you might not be interested in because it's helpful. But I think that when you allow somebody to also learn things that they like, it makes things much different. When I got into fitness, the first book I read cover to cover voluntarily was about biomechanics. I really was interested in the body and how the body moved. Had I found an interest like that earlier on, I would have found a greater interest just for learning and reading and those things in general. You give somebody something they're passionate about, they, they have a desire to learn, and that can have a trickle-down effect into other areas that they aren't as interested in. So a lot of that stuff that I just didn't realize. As soon as I started learning fitness, it made me want to learn more things, and I had a greater hunger for learning. Um, but yeah, in school, they just don't teach you that way. I, I think fitness is... I, I just recently really got into i've always been active i've always gone hiking hey let's go to a gym in my whole life i probably like average go to the gym like once a month or something like that like yeah a a friend had to push me towards it but i i would at least do a hike or something you know one or two times a week like that now uh i just recently turned 40 and now i'm 41 right before i turned 40 i was like dude like i have a four-year-old i want to i want to play with him i want to carry him i want to do this and now I'm all about it. And then I'm like, dude, I, I wish I would have like done this in my, you know, when I was 20 something, because when you figure out discipline at the gym, all of a sudden you figure out a discipline for everything, dude, for preach. studying, for fucking learning, for habits, for showing up on time, for making priorities, like your whole life changes. A hundred percent. And I, I didn't, I didn't have a father. So, uh, you know, that this is why I always, I always wanted, like, I always want to ask, like, what was it? Dig what into it? that dynamic. You know, yeah. Always, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's like. I can honestly say, every time I hear a similar story, I'm like, oh, father was involved. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, another. Checks another one of those boxes. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but 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 now, you know, I see it with my four-year-old. and Like, Papa, let's do push-ups. And we do push-ups in the morning. Let's do like, yeah. little abs. And, and it's like you don't realize how healthy that is. You know, it's like my dad was not super into fitness, but he was boxing and doing stuff, and he was in good shape. Active, Barrel yeah. trusted guy, active. And he's somebody I looked up to. And my dad would always have these things like, cool, you know, you're going to put your foot next to mine and we're going to hold our arms. And when you can throw me off balance, I'll let you tell me what we're going to do for the day or whatever. So we would have these like healthy challenges of like, you need to get stronger. Let's play this game. And so he always made fitness like a fun thing and something to aspire to. And so I think that and just, I I think a lot of us, when we grew up in the nineties or eighties, all the cool Rocky movies and all that stuff, like we had those really, um, 
you know, fit role models that a lot of us looked up to. So those things kind of always made me want to get into fitness. Yeah. Hell yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Badass. Yeah, for sure. Like I had Jean-Claude Van Damme when he did the splits. I was like, I got to be able to do the splits. I have to be able to, you know, I want to have abs like Rocky against the, the Russian. I had like my checklist of things, but, um, yeah, like you said is, is fitness. It's crazy. Cause I always say, if you can conquer fitness it, and you really don't just look at it as, as a single pillar, but you really translate those things to anything else, relationships, business, if you can be successful at fitness, you can be successful at all of those. And that's what I realized by the first fitness competition that I did was in like 2011 was the first bodybuilding show I did. And I really just did it to challenge myself. I felt like I'd been a trainer for all these years. I was never in the shape I really felt I should be in. And I wanted to push myself. And I think that's the first key is wanting to, to be uncomfortable. So many people avoid that. Yeah. And so that was the first lesson I learned was the fact that I went out of the way to make myself uncomfortable made me better. So that was key. And then also just reflecting. I did horrible. I got last place in the show. But afterwards, <laughs> I was running around super pumped. And everyone's like, why are you so happy? I was like, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. Like, I'm, I am I ate fish on my fish and asparagus on my birthday. If you had told me years ago, you'd give me a million dollars. I wouldn't say no, because I don't want the million dollars. I didn't believe that I could do that. And so you start to go through these things and go, hey, wait a minute, like, I've been counting myself out. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit tougher than I thought. I'm a little more disciplined. Maybe that other stuff I counted myself out for, I could actually do that. So those two things were pivotal for me is go out of your way to challenge yourself and make yourself uncomfortable. And then do those things, show up for yourself each day and fulfill those promises that you made to yourself. And you start to build confidence little by little. Like, I did that cardio session, I ate that meal, and that confidence just slowly builds. And after that, my business just took off. I started having just so much more faith in myself and it just allowed me to take those risks that I don't think I would have normally taken. And and how did you get the opportunity to invest in a gym and have a gym? Oh yeah. Dude, I, I, I swear that that's been on my mind for, for a while. Yeah, I'm like, well, you know what? I want a fucking gym. And I'm like, I don't have time for having a gym, but I've always wanted a gym. Well, our, our story is interesting with the gym because we didn't have money either. So in 2007, 2008, people now, you hear CrossFit, Orange Theory, um, there's boot camps. You hear boot camps. That didn't exist in 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008. 2007, CrossFit was just grassroots, still just getting off the ground. I'd been to some of their early seminars, and uh, I was uh, a personal trainer. What was it? Uh, PX... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something. Uh, P P90X. P90X. So P90X was cracking at that time. So there was that kind of stuff. But boot camp wasn't a thing. So I was at, at a commercial gym and I had met my now wife and she was really successful. She was the finance director for Mercedes Benz. And she was like, look, you're great at what you do, but working at this gym ain't it. Like you need to figure out how to pursue your passion and to really go for this. So she really kind of gave me the push. Yeah. She was this beautiful woman who was older than me, incredibly successful and still saw so much in me that I was like, man, like if she sees this, maybe I need to like, even though I saw it, it was one of the thinking. Sorry about that. Cool. No, we're good. So yeah, I was kind of saying that, that I had met my, my now wife. She was very successful and she was, you know, pushing me in this direction. And I felt like, okay, if this, this beautiful older woman and she's, she's accomplished and she sees this in me, maybe I need to see it more. And what I was kind of saying is I think that a, a lot of us have that in the back of your head where you're like, do kind of feel like it. You don't have a lot of confidence, but you hear this little voice, but your past record kind of makes you feel stupid for believing it. So it's like, I was, I would have this and then I'm like, yeah, but what makes you believe that you haven't done this and you failed here and you failed there and you failed here and you failed there. So you're littered with failure and that just overpowers that voice that you could accomplish something. So all of a sudden somebody else comes in with this perspective and goes, no, that voice is right. You're brilliant. You can do this. And you start, it starts to breathe life into that, into that part of you. So sometimes, like I always say, sometimes it just takes one person. You don't know the power you have over someone. You could be a stranger and tell somebody that you think they're brilliant with the idea. And you don't have, you don't understand the power that that can sometimes have. 
So she, it was literally within weeks of her meeting me, becoming my client. We ended up together. We ended up living together and started my business. Yeah, basically from there was like, you know, she, she, she was pushing me. I, within weeks, we lived together. Our relationship moved super fast and started the business. But I was broke. I had no credit. Had, again, it was high school dropout and felon. And so with like a 400 credit score. So I couldn't, I couldn't fund anything. So I basically just sat back and thought like, how do I add value? I don't know business. I don't know anything technical, but I know training and I know common sense. I have street smart. So I was like, what would, if I was a client here at this gym paying $50 for a half hour session or $47 for a half hour session, what if I could go down the street to this park? It's a park, there's limited equipment, but it could be good intensity and they could train five days a week. I could give them more frequency. I could give them a greater amount of value. And that was, again, before boot camps were kind of a thing. And yeah. so we were kind of like part of that first phase of, of group training. And we started at a park. I went with my car. I had a pink laundry basket with some dumbbells in it. My mom and, and now wife were my only two clients. And my mom drove over a half hour each way to come to multiple classes a day because I told her, I look crazy out here because I have no clients. So if yeah. somebody does show up, they're going to drive away. <laughs> they're going right. to be like, I'm not hanging out with this dude in this dark park by yeah. myself. Like, hell no. So my mom, just being such a great mom, drove to pretend to be a client for me. And like, it's crazy looking back. That is, that was the reality for a while. And uh, we just slowly grew. We never had a big burst, never had a takeoff moment. We had a lot of down moments. In 2007, um, I found a, a small commercial space. It was like 1,500 square feet, if that and uh, put all the money that I had saved into it. And that guy ended up, he was foreclosing on the building during the, the, the recession. So we lost all of our money, lost everything. And again, didn't really have credit still at that point um, and ended up finding the space that we're in now. And we were just blessed because they, they were building owners. They were just an older couple that are really sweet that are friends to this day. And they gave us an opportunity. Um, and the things just slowly kind of went from there. We had our one location. I started to find success. And I mean, it was, I had a bootleg version of Adobe Photoshop and Adobe Premiere. I couldn't use a computer at all. So I had to spend literally hundreds of hours on YouTube learning how to use those programs. But I made our first website, our first promo video, our flyers. I had, I, I sat and spent hundreds of hours just researching and learning things to get one tiny bit of progress. I'd get, you know, two extra phone calls or whatever. So it was just years of really doing everything wrong until things were right or just a really a really rough learning curve because I was, I'm still not great with technology, but, um, those things were hard. We didn't have the money to outsource it. So the only option is you're going to sit in this office until you figure it out. Like you don't right. have, you, I'd go on Craigslist to literally find the, I couldn't even buy the software. I'd have to find a, a stolen version, you know, for 50 bucks on Craigslist. Yeah. Cause back then it was like a thousand dollars or something yeah. for Adobe. Yeah. And, and it was like, you had to download it. And right. So it was like, okay, how do I, so the, the great thing though, the blessing is Anybody that's listening to this that's in that situation, in the moment, you hate it so much. You're like, why can't I have a parent that has, why can't, why does everything have to be so hard? I can't get a single break. I can't get a credit card. The blessing though, is that has truly been one of the things that's made my business successful is I'm, I'm super resourceful and I'm super resilient because I had to be. There was no consistent. Yeah. And you just, I knew I have to show up every day and I'm probably not going to get much out of this effort that I'm going to put in, but I'm going to keep doing it until it either yields something or I'm going to try a different route and I'm going to keep researching and I'm going to keep looking. And so I think that it just makes you hungrier because you don't have anything to fall back on and you have to make it work. And that's just kind of how it worked. We slowly grew and then eventually 
ended up opening a remote location in San Diego. Um, somebody had seen how the gym was doing and he wanted to be part of it. So basically he opened a satellite really? location. Yeah. He just saw the location out here and was like, whoa. No, we actually were doing a bodybuilding competition together. We, we carpooled together to Vegas with a group of other competitors. And on the way, um, one of the other guys was really interested in the business model. So he started asking me about it. And so this guy wasn't even really participating in the conversation. He was just listening most of the time. But a lot of the drive down, a lot of trainers don't make a lot of money. And so at that time, the gym was doing really good for what trainers normally make. Like, so those people were interested, like, wow, like, how are you making that money? And what is this business model? What are you doing? Um, and then shortly thereafter, he had hit me up and just said, Hey man, I, I can't stop thinking about all the stuff that you talked about on the drive to Vegas. Like it just keeps going through my head. Like I have to be a part of this. And I just said, yeah, I do picture it growing, but I'm not at the point yet. So, um, I was working a booth at an expo and he showed up there. He was working a booth and he showed up, was like, bro, I'm not, I'm not giving up on this. So he was really persistent and kind of pushed me out of the comfort zone to probably do it earlier than we should have. But it ended up throwing us into deep water and we figured things out. He found success and opened multiple more locations throughout San Diego and we just kept growing it. And now we have um, locations throughout the U S and we went international into Germany. So we have somebody. Really? Yeah. So we have That's somebody. With, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's been big. It's crazy. Super weird. <laughs> so now you're, you're franchising uh, the brand and, and the workouts and the, do you have like a set yeah. equipment like, yeah. So one of the things that's big different, a big difference between us and like other group training is a lot of them use like TRX trainers, treadmills, things that, that you can use anywhere else. It's just their workouts, how they choose to do it. My big aspects were one is the foundation is resistance training. So a lot of these group training programs aren't building it on a f foundation of what myself or other most fitness professionals find to be a true strong foundation. You're lifting weights that don't don't provide progressive overload, which is meaning that as soon as you adapt to it, you can grab heavier weights. So since these things are based on using lightweight and a lot of cardio, that's just not how we're taught. And so it works because the common person wants that and doesn't know better. If you take somebody and I put them through a really good resistance training workout, but they don't sweat a lot, then I put them in the parking lot and I make them push my car around the parking lot until they sweat all over and throw up. And you ask them which workout was better. They're going to say the one that they pushed the car around the parking lot because yeah. they just sweat more. So they're, so these models aren't built off of science or fact or what any of these owners of those gyms do if they compete in any way. That's not how they train, but they, that's how they, how they train other people. And I didn't want that type of program. So years ago, I ended up meeting a guy who was selling a retail fitness space. And I talked to him and he said, yeah, I go to China and I actually... Mm -hmm have my own line of fitness equipment. And I just said, Hey, would I be able to go with you? And he said, sure, I'm flying out there in a couple of weeks. We flew out there and I met these different factories and Where I started Guangzhou. Um, yeah, we went to Chindao, a bunch of different places. And so, but I, I started to have like just all these ideas like, okay, nobody's creating these things. I'm going to create them just for my gym. So I created these all in one pieces that ended up really allowing us to do resistance training in a group setting like nobody else could. So we got patents on all that stuff we have a visual aid technology that scales to different fitness levels. So we're the only group fitness that actually takes that into consideration. You might be doing a more challenging exercise on the person next to you, or you might be doing an advanced training principle while the other person doesn't. So those were two of like the main things that I really worked on. And it actually branched off into this company, Bulletproof, which is our newest company, which is just fitness equipment. So as, as our stuff was being posted, we were getting a lot of attention on these yeah, few units. Seen the, 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 the standalone uh, rod that you can have like an arm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was our first unit that we I dropped. Almost bought a few, I almost bought it like two or three times. I I'm love like, it. I've got to get it. I love like, it. I don't have fucking space for this. Yeah, yeah. I love it. But that was like, we, we people would see our equipment, and they're like, where do you get this equipment? What is this? 
and I realized there was just a huge need is I had to go out and make it for myself. So I started thinking, well, how many other people are wishing that this was made? You know, how many other people are waiting for that solution? And I just genuinely love it. Like it's, it's even more than the gyms were is like, this is just a really cool passion for me to create something that fulfills a need and that, you know, is like going to be in all these homes and people are going to be benefiting from it. So it's been a really exciting venture and I'm not an engineer, which makes it even more exciting. People each time I'll, I'll talk about it. They're like, okay, where'd you get your degree for engineering? I'm like, I'm not an engineer. (laughs) All this stuff I just sketch on a napkin. And then my brother-in-law is, he started to go to school to be an engineer and architect and he's a graphic designer. So he helped me take it like from my really bad sketches to like a closer model. And then we would work with an engineer and try to get it closer. And so it was like just this process of one thing after another, kind of just figuring out what the next step is. And eventually we had these really cool units. How, how long, how long did that take the, the R and D and yeah, the first units, um, the first units probably took like a year total, but they were less complex. Um, these units now, the, the first unit that, that we brought to market was probably close to like six months. Um, and now stuff is taking s- somewhere probably around six months or so each each unit probably to do. But we've just made things. The units we're dropping now are more complex, but we're also better at what we do. And I have a larger team now, so we have more engineers. Um, but it's still a huge learning curve. I'm used to a service-based business, and I came into this with really modest expectations just because I feel like you should know what you don't know. And I don't know this space that well yet, Um, but we were just super blessed. Like we dropped this unit and this was the unit that's, that everybody sees now, I considered to be kind of like an easy unit because it's small, it's easy to ship. um, It goes on someone's existing squat rack. So it's not like they have to commit to a lot of space. So I was like, this, this would be just be an easy first unit, but I really wasn't expecting it to get like crazy acclaim or anything. I thought it would do good. I thought it would do okay. But, um, you know, we, I was like, if, if, if we profit a couple grand a month while we're growing the business and figuring it out. And it was just one of those things where I have an experience with our other businesses where it just was like a, a massive success. Like it just wasn't, it didn't take too much effort. And I was like pleasantly surprised. I was like, I really wish this is how business always went. But yeah, um, yeah it's been, it's been really cool to see how people have received it. And all these people in the garage gym community, personal training community are like, Yes, this is what we've always wanted. So it makes you also feel D- kind of... Describe the unit. Describe what, what you created for, for people that are yeah. listening. So a, a lot of the issues that people have, like a personal trainer or even somebody at home, a lot of the time the reason that they go to a commercial gym is because there's certain pieces of equipment that they consider key to use and they can't use in their garage. So you can get a squat rack in your garage. You can do squats. You can definitely build a body with just a barbell or a set of dumbbells. You have to be more knowledgeable. It's more boring. And so that's where it steers people. To, even if they have a garage gym, a lot of people still have a commercial gym membership. And I knew that. And so I was always waiting for somebody to create something that facilitates these other machines. And nobody did. So the unit that I created basically just goes on. It's a carriage that goes onto a squat rack. And then it has these, we call them our hex ports. And they can receive basically different attachments. And it can do anything from a preacher curl to a prone leg curl, seated leg curl, pullovers. It does like 100 exercises in this one attachment that goes on a squat rack. And the main aspect is really like for somebody that does have that home gym that goes, I want to do leg extensions to isolate the front of my legs. I want to do leg curls to isolate the back of my legs. I want to be able to, a girl that wants to focus on her glutes. She can now do that with one attachment instead of having to go to the gym. So it was a risk for me because most of the stuff that you see that's massively successful in the gym industry is very gimmicky. 
And so this was just very like logical. And I'm like, unfortunately in business, logical stuff doesn't always win. So it's like, this just combines a lot of machines that work good. So yeah. it was kind of like a roll the dice. Like this isn't gimmicky. It's not going to be in Walmart. Like nobody, none of these big chains are going to buy it. So it has to really facilitate a need that other people see. And even if you feel confident in that, you never know. Like, I don't know that everybody sees the same things that I see. So it was just nice that I wasn't crazy and that other people saw value in it too. Yeah, no, it's, it's genius. I've, I've seen it. I like it. Like I said, I almost bought it a few times. And I was just like, I love it. We got the ads running enough. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got the ads running. Your marketing's good. Who does your marketing? What, what, you know, that, that's, that's such a big and, and difficult thing to, to operate and run. Because yeah. if, if you figure that out, you could almost sell anything. Yeah. In a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's basically what I do is I do the marketing for it. So come up with the concepts and the big part that I actually enjoy is I like building community and I, I'm truly passionate about it. So one of the things that I kind of saw as an area of opportunity in the space is not a lot of the companies. Do you have people that you actually connect with? You're just get, you're just buying products. Right. So I really wanted to be part of this community, like part of the garage gym community, part of the personal training community and be seen as this, I'm a person you can reach out to. I'll answer your questions as the owner. So I don't have customer service reps. I answer all the messages and I deal with, with all that stuff. And I, I actually enjoy doing it. So that part I think has been good is I do the marketing. I know how to do marketing. Uh, my sister is my partner on it. And she's like the opposite of me. Like I'm very creative. I'm big picture. Um, I'm people smart. I, I understand the marketing side, the sales side. She's very technical, data-driven. So we're like this perfect combination where the two of us can genuinely do like a team worth of work. We really understand how each other work. So she handles all the back-end stuff. I handle all the front-end stuff. And between the two of us, we're able to just kind of tackle it and keep it moving forward. Is, is she all about the gym and works out? And No. No. Um, she's getting into it now, but it's funny because like my family in general really isn't into fitness. Like my dad was, like I said, he was bit like active, but he wasn't even a gym person really. Um, so I'm kind of like, I, I stand out a little as far as the gym part goes, but she's a very, she's very much like me as to where she has, she's probably got the best work ethic out of anyone I know. Like she can, she'll work 20, literally 24 hours and she'll just not go to bed if it's not done. And we, we have this like common sense kind of thing. It's like, well, why would I go to bed? It's not done. Like that's how we see business. It has to be done. So we go to bed when it's done and not everybody works that way. No. Well, I'm tired, so I'm going to go to bed and I'll finish later. Well, you can't because no. we got to launch tomorrow. Well, we'll launch another day. Like we don't see that as an option. Like the business eats first. We do what needs to be done. So she's a very motivated, very driven, hardworking person. So even though it's not in the gym, it's like my same mindset and like life. So we both attack things like we never would make an excuse why we can't do something. You just do it. You find a way and you make it happen. So I think that's why her and I are able to, to work so well together because we just we think the same way when it comes to that, but we also complement each other in the things that we like and don't like. She hates the social aspect. She doesn't like using social media. Um, so like we just really balance each other and we're able to kind of create a good team that can do, do a lot with only a couple people. What, what's the percentage of people that in general that work out? I don't even know. I know that right now it's the, like super low. I it's, it's low. Like the obesity rate I think is 67%. Um, and morbid obesity, I think, is just under 50% right now. So this last year, the, the data was showing the highest that it's been. What, what so, do you weigh? Um, I'm like 220 right now. 220? Yeah. We're similar height almost. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't I'm like 5'9", 5'10", yeah. on a good day. On, what do you call it? BMI, you're, you're obese. Oh, yeah. Because I'm obese. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm fucking... I'm 205, 205. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you're obese. Yeah. Like, I was in Dubai, and I wanted to go skydiving, and they checked BMI. Oh, yeah. And, and there was, like, 
lazy people yeah. that were able to skydive. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you can't go skydiving. I go, I go, what do you mean? Yeah. I've done skydiving. It's like a 220 cap. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, oh, but your BMI is too high. You're obese. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's crazy that the world... Now, how does that work? Because I also read uh, there's a study now that they're saying that BMI is not even that fucking accurate. Now... Well, it's inc- it's, yeah, nobody in fitness in fitness uses a BMI. Like, it's not even spoken of. No one will ever talk to you about a BMI. But the reality is, even if you look at the science or you look at anything else, money is what leads real good knowledge. You know, we don't we don't understand things unless there's money. Money is there's no money to made to be made in dietetics or nutrition. So if you look at certain studies, the studies, the best studies that we have were actually a byproduct of something from the pharmaceutical company. It just happened to be this as we were testing this for this, they ended up losing weight. So we're like, oh, great. Now we have some data. But these studies cost money and there's not really money to be made in a lot of these areas. So that's why you don't see direct studies that are giving us anything that are really good. And again, unless they're accidental. Oh, we there was, um, you know, there's a, a peptide where they were trying to test um, some sort of like tanning, some sort of tanning alternative or something. And the people ended up losing weight. And so they ended up being able to take that data and, and see how it could be applied towards, um, you know, people ending up ending, ending up losing weight. But again, as you don't see a lot of good information directly just because there's not money to be made. So yeah. who's going to, who's going to want to fund that? You know, like, okay, cool. Uh, this diet works better than this one. Why am I running that study? I'm not making any money on that. So, or that is somebody that was funding this study for their own reasons. And now you have to be questioning the outcome because if they're self-funding it, it's hard to understand where that comes from. So there's enough data for us to understand that basically it's calories in versus calories out. You need to you need to move more, um, and it I, really I, I struggle with that. I'm going to pick your brain on that. I struggle with that because my my consumption of calories in and what I burn, I burn more. But yeah. but I feel like I feel sometimes like I, I hit like I, I I'm stuck. I'm in one of those weights where I'm stuck right now. Yeah. You know, my my norm before was like two twelve. Now my norm's like two oh four. Okay. And I I feel like I don't eat enough. Right. Well, the leaner that you get, you're going to definitely feel like that more and more. And that's what, if you see like a competitor, they'll always say like, the better you look, the worse you feel, which isn't how life should necessarily be. But as you, it's called metabolic adaptation. And every time you reach a new level of a lower body fat, your body has to adapt to that. And naturally what it wants to do is find homeostasis. It wants to balance. It doesn't want to lose weight. It doesn't want to store weight. It wants to have a normal energy balance. And so what happens when you're eating, you go from 3,000 calories to 2,800 and you're starting to lose weight. The body's going to lose a little weight, but then it's going to balance off. So what happens over periods of time, you have to be eating less or moving more or both. And so it just becomes more difficult. And so what you'll notice is people will lose a certain amount of weight and then they take a little bit of time off to maintain and allow their metabolism to they come plat- back up a little they bit. They plateau, right? They'll yeah. plateau. And sometimes it's, it's when it's done right, it's done on purpose because you're reaching these levels of metabolic adaptation and you don't want to keep suffering. So what you'll do is you'll stop for a period of time and you'll basically just focus on maintaining body fat, but building lean mass. And now that brings your metabolism back up. Now that next journey to lose weight, you're starting at this higher point of, of the ability to burn calories. So it just makes it easier. You don't have to run down to such a low calorie range, but yeah, I mean, it really is essentially, I've gone from eating old school bodybuilding diet. That's what I started with my first coach before there was a lot of dietetic knowledge was like fish and asparagus, chicken, chicken breast and brown rice. Um, and I've worked with a lot of people since, and really all the studies show there was a meta-analysis that was done last year that took all of the major studies that have been done on different dietetic approaches. So keto, the carnivore, they have, you know, all these different diets. 
they took all of them and they were trying to find which was the most successful. And they basically found the only variable that changed anything was protein intake. When you equated protein for protein and calories for calories, every single approach ended up getting comparable weight loss. So they weren't necessarily the same health markers. So there's certain diets that may be healthier for certain individuals. But when it was fat loss alone, the only two variables that ever made any difference in any of the studies were calories and protein. So if you are eating the right amount of protein and you're hitting those calories, you're going to lose weight. But one of the big things I could say for you and for other people is when you're in good shape and you're at that lower metabolic adaptation, you have less of a a range to mess up, right? So think is if you're able to burn 1,800 calories, 2,000 calories a day, you could eat a few handfuls of almonds and be 400 calories in. So a lot of the time what happens is I tell people if you're not weighing food and tracking food, that's what you realize. You go, damn, I really thought I ate 2,000 calories today, but it was 2,400. It's a small amount. You picked it a few things, but that put you from losing weight or maintaining weight. So as you get further into it, I just say you have to be more serious about what you're intaking exactly and tracking that to make sure that you're hitting that at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. My mom told me something that made sense too. She was like, uh, you make food too good. Yeah. I'm like... What, what is that'll that be mean? that'll be painful too because yeah. then you got to eat it all yeah and, and, and she's like yeah like if you were just to like boil a chicken and yep. eat it you you wouldn't finish it you'd be like i'm for good. sure <laughs> for sure i don't have that problem so my meal prep is easy it's just dry chicken but yeah i mean it is you'll notice that, that it's you know like anything like in business the higher you get a lot of the time the harder you have to work just to maintain that level you yeah. know and it's the same in fitness you're like Dude, I, I bar- all I did was skip a soda and I lost weight in the beginning. Now all of a sudden I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm not losing weight. And so it's it's important for people to understand just the, the physiological end of it is your body's adapting and you ha- and when you understand that it makes more sense and you just know I have to commit more and 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 cut that diet down so that I can end up hitting those those next goals. What what, what do you think is the success rate? I'm, I'm just trying to uh trying to understand people that work out develop yep. good you know habits and hobbies and you know mentally they're more stable you know like it's, it's it, people talk about it all the time if you're depressed just start working out don't even take medicine just yeah it's the number one the n- number one thing that can be done for dopamine so they say outside of medication there's nothing comparable to exercise so and that, and that could be as simple as taking a walk or yep. anything and and that was you know like i said I, I really started getting into the gym when i turned 40 uh, but at the same time, I was going through a business transaction. I had a partner, and it went so bad that for like three weeks, I was losing sleep. I was going yep. to sleep like at four, waking up at six. I was like, de- you know, I, I don't want to say depressed, but I felt like feeling mm. depressed. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt pressure. Yeah. I don't want fuck depression. I, I felt pressure. Right. I was like, fuck, man. Then you know, I got to do something. And then one day I went to the gym because I was just going to use the sauna. And then I went swimming. And then I went and started working out. And then I'm at the gym. And then. Oh shit! You know, fuck this, man. I got ninety nine problems, yeah. man. But this is the same one, one. and yeah. none of them seem as bad anymore. And none of them. And then all of a sudden, that's why I got into the fucking habit. So my question is, how many people in fitness? But obviously, this is not going to be the key to success. But how many people do you know in fitness that are successful? They had another a, another really cool study that was done on that actually, and so they took all these people that 
had lost weight and kept the weight off. So that was the interesting part of the study too, was not just that they lost weight, but they kept it off. And they basically were trying to find the main elements that those people had in common. One of the major things was the people they surrounded themselves with. So was these people said that the contributing factor of being part of a gym that had people that supported them or their family supported them. The other people on the opposing side that people, when they would go to lunch and people would say, just have one fry, just eat some guacamole. When they were around those people non-supportive, they said that was detrimental. One of the other things, the biggest one out of all of it was adherence. So they said, regardless of the diet type, the people that found the most success were people that truly were capable and wanted to follow that diet as a lifestyle, not just as a diet. And so that was like one of the major, major elements of it. Um, it, There was other things like overall satiety and things like that. But the two, the two major ones were kind of this social element and just adherence. Those were the two big ones. I think that they had like five overall elements that they took away, but you know, for, for me is, is that, that can be comparable to business or anything else is who you support yourself with is if I'm, if I'm sitting next to you going, Hey man, I want to ex- expand my business and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but let's go drinking tonight. It's the same thing as somebody sitting there going, I really want to lose this extra five pounds. It's going to make me feel confident. I really want this. And I'm like, just have a drink with me. Are the people that are around you really supporting you or supporting, supporting their own wants and needs, you know, yeah. and that's going to translate from losing weight and keeping it off or business or anything else, because those people I've noticed were the same people in each area. They, they responded the same way to my wants and needs, whether it was me trying to lose weight or anything else. They always came with, how, you know, how does this make me happy? How do I get something out of this? So I think that if people can look at that, if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to go into business, really look at the people that you surround yourself with. We talked about just having one person believe in you. And now we're talking about like the study on weight loss. You have a few people around you that don't have to be rich. They don't have to be crazy successful, but do they support you? When you wake up, are they breathing life into your ideas? But, but, but it's funny too. It, it, like you said, it's the people around you, but it's interesting because, you know, like, like my, my mother would be like, hey, you're, you're, you're working out too much and you shouldn't work oh, out too, too much. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, oh, you, people that age and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like, yeah, really? Well, and that's the funny thing is I always talk about my, so I always did an orientation before our big fitness challenges and I would talk about these different elements. So I felt like it was important to address the psychological part of it, the emotional part of it, not just the diet part of it. So I always felt like that was something as a coach that I wanted to bring to the table was not just here's the diet, but I want to prepare you with different tools and different ways to mentally be prepared to be successful. So I would talk about that. I would say, look, what's going to happen when you do this is a lot of people are going to surprise you. There's going to be some people that aren't, aren't about your life and that they're not about you and you're going to see that, but there's other people that are, but for their own reasons, they're presenting it differently. And I use the example of my mom. My mom was my biggest supporter, but she'd always give me a hard time. You work out too much, and this is ridiculous, and why are you eating? Bad for your heart, and this, that, yeah. Why Why are are you you, torturing yourself? Why are you eating that while I'm eating this? As we got older, my mom ended up losing 100 pounds while she was working out with me. So she lost a lot of weight. She got in the best shape she'd ever been in, and she was the best version of herself. And we had a lot of conversations where she said, I felt bad about myself, so I was, like, projecting that. You're eating a salad, and I'm eating a burger, so I'd rather just say that's unhealthy or too extreme. And so... When you understand that, that's an important part too, is you don't want to alienate and and get rid of your mother because she doesn't support your diet, but you can understand, I always tell them is what happens at the end is always the same thing. Those people come around not only in support, but for advice. So they come around and go, not only did you kill it, but I'm also kind of curious, what do you think I could do? How could I get some help? So there's a group of people you need to get rid of. And that, that'll be more clear. Those other people that are really close and, to and you. And most people you need to get rid of right. anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are bad, but some of those people that really do care about they're you. They're not bad. They're, they're just, just not. projecting their own insecurities. And that's what I learned is there's, there's a fine line on that. And well, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's not even as deep as that. I think it's just, they really believe that, Hey, you only oh, live, some of them, some of them only do. live once. Yeah. Some of them do. But a lot of those people you'll talk to, 
they, when because I have that all the time. I mean, anywhere I go, it turns into this kind of those conversations. And it's funny because there are some people that are just genuinely happy or in the shape that they're in, even if it isn't the ideal body type. And those people will ask me, do you think I should work out more and do stuff? I'm like, if you're healthy and happy with your body, no. Like, you don't need to fit any sort of standard. Who cares? Do whatever you want to do. Uh, but there's other people that it's interesting where I'll have conversations and they start off like that and just go, I just think that it's an excess. You live once. Live your life and have fun. And I'm like, mm. cool. Like, so you're genuinely happy when you look in the mirror who looks back at you, you know? And as you start to ask more questions and they start to kind of be like, well, I would like to lose a little more. I'm like, how does that affect your life? I don't always wear the stuff I'd like to wear. When we were at the, when we went to the beach, I didn't take my thing off and my husband was mad. So then you start to kind of unravel as like a lot of the time we had talked earlier, we avoid difficult situations. And what we do is we put up this false perception of what we say is truth. This is my right. truth. I live once. Well, we came to that conclusion because we found failure in past attempts. And it's easier to say that. It's easier to say, I'm just good. I'm happy with this. And a lot of the time I have to let people know if you're truly not happy with that, but you've just made that your reality because you've had failure in the past. I want you to believe in yourself again and go get what you fucking want. Like if that's what you truly want, don't make this your reality if it's not. And then other people that genuinely are happy, I'm like, don't go do a ton of extra exercise if you don't need to. If you're healthy and you're happy, then just live your life. But yeah, continue being healthy and happy. Yeah. It's trying to, trying to really search that. It's funny if you ask somebody what is happiness to you? What is success to you? And you really try to walk through a conversation. It's pretty amazing how many people can't really answer that, you know, is what is, what does that look like to you? And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I guess that kind of doesn't make me happier. I don't know why I'm working towards that. And that's like kind of a key of what I try to talk to people about. It's really try to ask yourself, are you pursuing this career? Cause it'll make your dad happy, your mom happy, or does it make you genuinely happy? Like, what are you actually doing? And fitness is no different. Some people can go for a walk. They don't need to do extreme exercise you can be healthy and you don't enjoy exercise. So fine. You know, you're, you're in a good place. Other people, they're just not doing it because they don't have faith in themselves. And those are the people I kind of push a little well, harder. I, I, I don't know if it's faith. I, I just think that, um, we're in a world where it's like, you're supposed to, you're in a world that you have to fight two things. One, you have to fight your own brain. Yep. Cause your brain will be like, no, 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 no. It's cold outside. Don't yep. go out. No, no, no. The gym's full. The dogs are cuddling oh, you in the morning. Oh, you know, uh, the kids, uh, uh, you, yeah. you can't go to the gym right now. That's just fucking silly. So you have your brain and then your brain's such a piece of shit that at the end of the day, when you don't do nothing, it goes, you stupid ass. You're yep. fucking lazy, dude. You're a piece of shit. Yep. And then that makes you fall into more of a depression. And then the next day, it's that cycle. Yep. So then you have that to deal with. Yep. Which dealing with your own mind's fucking crazy. And then everything's just so fucking convenient nowadays. Yep. You know, to drive your car, order it on Amazon, don't go here, don't go there. Look, try this food. This is delicious. This yep. is delicious. Like, recently, I, I'm, I'm starting to drop... Go one of the best diets that I had, which is interesting, because to, to get into, for me, it, it was kind of easy. Yeah. But when you fall off it, it's so fucking hard to get back on it. And it's keto. Oh, yeah. And keto, for me, I liked it a lot because, like, my, my knees will crack or I'll, like, crack my knuckles or whatever yep. the case is. On keto, that all went away. Yeah. It, yep. it all went away. And I thought I was fucking crazy until I heard a doctor talk on fucking Joe Rogan's thing. And he was like, yeah, inflammation and all that yep. stuff goes away because of the carbs and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I love that diet. Yeah. Um, fuck, what was my point? Basically convenience and when you were on right. the diet. Right. Yeah. So, so a, a thing that I just came to conclude now is I find it interesting that if I eat carbs or sweets or anything, there's no end to how much I can eat. Oh, yeah. If you give me a box of donuts and pizza and this, that, there's no fucking end. Yeah. Like, if you and I are around, I won't touch it. Yeah. But if I was by myself, dude, yeah. I'd fucking murder it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And 
and and and that doesn't happen with steak, right? Or salmon. Well, you're gonna the feeling <laughs> of satiety of eating a bunch of ch- steak. You're gonna end up pretty full. Yeah, you yeah. go to a Korean barbecue or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'll tear it up, yeah. but I'll be like, I'm full. Yeah, yeah, and that's where that might be a great diet for you because that, when I did keto early on. My stomach didn't digest the amount of, of, of fat, so I person I got good results with it, and it was a diet that we had added to the the repertoire of things that we can give to somebody if we feel like it's good for their lifestyle. Me personally, it wasn't it wasn't a huge hit, but like you said, is it does have to be one of those things you can be consistent with because if you fall off, then it is going to be hard. And one of the other things, like you had mentioned, convenience in your own mindset, and I think one of the other things is the social media. I was talking to a buddy the other day, and I said when we were young. You just had to be as cool as the kid in your high school. You know, the coolest kid in your high school. You're competing against these few hundred kids or whatever. Now, as a kid or an adult, when you're having that bad day and you ate the donuts you weren't supposed to eat, and now you open social media and you see another guy that's that's our age, that's 40, but he's got a 12-pack, and, you know, you're just like, oh, why do I even try? You know, like, what's yeah. even, the, what's the point? So I think that's a huge thing that I talk to people about is comparison is so rough right now because you open social media and every person is a bodybuilding billionaire, and it's like... That one isn't most of their lives, if they're being honest, and understanding that some people are going to have more success in some areas, but in your in your life, you probably are more successful in other areas. Maybe you have a better relationship with your kids, with your family, and it's just a direct comparison of what's posted. I think really is psychologically super challenging. I have a hard time with clients between business and fitness. So many negative effects. They're like, it was just a bad day. Then I open this and I see my friend that was from high school that now is so rich and all this other stuff. It's like, um, I, I think that it can be really hard and people need to really understand that isn't <laughs> yeah. everybody's real life. Like that it just isn't. Yeah, it's, it's just the surface. Right. Yeah, I, I look at the, the people in my high school. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I caught up with a bunch of them. Well, maybe you're the guy they see and then they're upset. And now well, they're probably, you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, what? And, and I, I couldn't believe, you know, because I, I, I haven't quit drinking, but like I toned down, like I'll have a drink once a month or something. Yep. And and just seeing, you know, because 40 is an age where you start seeing what yeah, my 40th is coming up right now. Yeah. It, so it, I'm but, like, but when you look at your other friends, it's, it's where you start comparing. It's like. Yeah, okay, I, I did okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did okay. Well, by forty, your your <laughs> habits are going to catch up to you one way or the other. Right. You know, you're going to be able to. going to catch up to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's like what's been interesting is my birthdays. I've never looked at them um, as like getting older, but they were always. So I kind of eighty four. Yeah, 83. 83. Yeah, so I always used okay. them as a reflection point of the prior year. So I always looked at my birthday as like. I want to be able to be on that day to say that my life is better in each area because of the year prior. So that was always, that's always kind of, well, not always, but probably in the last like 10 years is I just like using my birthday for that. It's like, did, am I happy that I got this year older and did I use that last year in a productive way that I feel like I'm a better person because of it? Um, and so I think that 40 is definitely one of those big ones because I think even if you don't normally do that, you end up just doing that anyways by the time you turn 40 is it makes you reflect on life a lot so like I'm even on a mission right now to be in even better shape I want to be like my business at the best place just on that day to be able to really feel proud of the efforts that I put into those 40 years to say like I'm better than I was a year ago and I'm better than I was 10 years ago like this is a good place and I'm really happy to turn 40 so Uh, because you're in great shape is this the best shape you've been in or do you think when you were younger you were in better shape I mean I've been in better shape on stage but I think this is probably the best shape that I've been in just casually and I'm not having to do a lot of cardio. I've just found balance with my diet. And so I am proud of that is it was, I would be in amazing shape when I would get on stage. I'd be in amazing shape maybe for a photo shoot, but I love food and I would eat a lot and then I would fall off and I'd have more body fat. Um, So consistency was always a struggle and maintaining a high level of fitness, like 
visible abs or anything like that wasn't easy for me. So now at this point, this really is the first time as I'm turning 40, this is the first time I've been able to kind of maintain a physique like that. And so that's something that I'm definitely happy about. I, I think this is the best shape I've ever been in. Yeah, I mean, you're like, in good shape for Shane. You said 41. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, you see a lot of other people at 41, and they're not in that kind of shape. And we're not supposed to compare everybody, right? right? We're not supposed right, right, right. to fucking compare. But, but, yeah. but, hey, I mean, it is one of those things where where you look at it and say, over those over, over that period of time, like we talked about habits, is they do become visible. You know, those things become visible in your personal accomplishments, whether they're fitness, your relationships, or anything else. And as you get older, they just become you can kind of have them behind closed doors. You know, I tell people, you always have your fat clothes. I've had times where I posted a, a before and after picture recently and everyone said, like, I have friends that were like, bullshit. And I'm like, it's a picture. It's clearly that was me. And they're like, I don't remember you looking that way. I'm like, because I got shirts that ain't going to let me look like that. Yeah, like, I'm going to... I didn't can, dress like that. Right, right. You can push to a point where you can hide some of that stuff. But I think as you get older, it bursts through those doors and things become clear, whether or not you fulfilled your promises to yourself and lived up to what you wanted to do. Um, by the time you're 40, a lot of that stuff becomes, you know, public knowledge. You're kind of wearing yeah, of it. You're showing it. So Yeah, I, I, I compare it to, you know, when I was 27, 28, I, I have friends that will swear that I was a tough motherfucker. And I got into a lot of fights yeah. and whatever, you know, bar fights, yeah. drinking, all that dumb shit. But I would fucking kick my 27-year-old ass oh, right yeah. now. Dude. Oh, like, yeah. Bitch, oh, come yeah. here, stupid. For like, sure. I would fucking, you know, like, like that, sure. that's that's what I really compare it to. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I'm almost there. I got to lose 15 pounds. I lose 15 pounds. I walk around fucking shirtless. Yep. I get, but I, I, I haven't weighed under 200 pounds since high school. Yeah. Just Which would be, that. Well, that would be, a, that's going to be a good goal. And I've been stuck here for eight months, dude. I'm like, oh, yeah. I've been close for eight months and I got to 201. Really? Skim in the surface, dude. I'm telling you, if you you go a couple weeks literally monitoring, do you know what your basal metabolic rate is? Do you know what you burn just during the day? Uh, I it's it's high. It was it was forty six. Okay, so I mean, yeah, that's a ton of calories. So if you're monitoring and you're staying in a basic in, in a good deficit of five hundred calories or so, you would lose that in a couple weeks, easy. But even dude, if you I had, don't eat a lot, dude. Yeah, I, I don't but, fucking get it. Like today, right now, I had egg bites. And then I'll probably have a dinner. This is why I'm saying I think, I think I'm working out too hard, and I'm not eating enough. And yeah. my body's just like, wait yeah. a minute, what the fuck? Are well, you I doing? mean, if yeah, if you're eating 800 calories or something, yeah, your body's I, definitely dude, I, not going to be happy. I think I'm at like 1,200, 1,500 tops. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a period of time where the body's not going to respond to that. If you go long period of time, you should still see weight loss. It's like I'll always compare extreme situations. You, you see somebody like in a survival situation. Even if they eat very low calories, eventually they lose weight. But you'll see certain periods of time where the body tries to adapt and hold on to it. So you'll see some people overexercise, undereat. They spike their cortisol. Yeah, they spike their cortisol and their body ends up just retaining a lot of water. So you might lose a little weight, but you retain a little water. And then what happens is over a period of time, then they consume a little bit more. Because over a period of time, eating 1,200 calories you're going to probably have a few days where you're going to overconsume because you're just going to, your body's going to be so depleted. And then what happens is the calorie offset becomes different. You were in a calorie deficit. You might've lost a little bit of body fat, but you gained water weight. So you didn't lose scale weight. And then by the time you overate, then it threw those, that weight loss off. And now you're back at the same place body fat wise. So mm -hmm. that's why like really low calories and over exercising doesn't work because you actually will lose some body fat, but you'll retain water and feel so really I should crappy. eat more. Well, I don't know exactly how much you're eating, but yeah, if you were eating 1,200 calories, I'd say you should be eating more for sure. And like, there are people where I'll just tell them, 
we have different class. We have two different main class types. One is our resistance training and one is our cardio, which is like kickboxing and, and airdynes and stuff. It's just a really intense cardio class. It's 30 minutes. The goal is just to burn uh, whatever calories they would possibly need for that day. And we would have people that would do that multiple times a day and our weight training class. And I'm like, listen, I've been at the highest level of pro bodybuilding and I've never had to expend the amount of calories you're expending. So you have to understand your diet isn't either isn't right or the diet isn't right and you're over exercising but i'm like I'll, all i'm gonna have you do is stop doing this extra cardio and then two weeks later they're like holy crap i've lost weight I'm like yeah, yeah cause because right now just to mix it up I, I felt like i've been hitting weights too hard so yeah. i usually do like 15 20 minutes on the stairmaster on mm -hmm. level eight no touching and then i said and then i do about an hour and a half weights yeah okay i mean that's a little while for the weights like how many exercises do you think you normally do I do a bunch of weird nonsense, dude. Like, <laughs> like, I'll get on the fucking bench, and I'll get on the bench with dumbbells, and I'll do, I'll do, uh, I'll do, a, you know, one plate. Yeah. 15 times. Then I'll do crunches. Then I'll do arms. Then I'll do rest for like a minute and a half. And then I'll add a 25. And then I'll do that 12 times. And then I'll grab dumbbells. And then I'll do abs, crunches. And then I'll add two 45s. And then I'll do that uh, probably three times, uh, reps of five. Uh -huh. And then, then I go add another 25. Sometimes I'll get to 315. I yeah. kind of fucked up my shoulder. And then I come back down. Okay. And then I'm doing arms in between the whole time. And then I would say halfway I'm doing crunches. Okay. You know, I, I, once, once I get to that point, I'm like, I don't want to like drain. Yeah. So I'll do that. I'll spend 35 minutes, 40 minutes on the bench just doing that. Yeah. And then after that, I'll go into like, a random back machine. Any machine I touch, I usually do five sets of 15. That's usually okay. 15 or 12. And do you normally do, you do chest every day and you do back every day? Recently, I've been doing chest and arms almost every day. And then yeah. I'll add back every now and then. And then this last week, uh, my gym offers classes. So in the last week, I've done two cycling classes. And I've done, a, 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 it's called stacks, uh -huh. where you fucking grab your 20. I, I did... 15, 20 pounds. Yeah. And you do like these, it's like kettlebell workouts. Oh, okay. It's like hit kettlebell workouts yeah, yeah. for 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say working on your split. If you're, how many days a week do you train? Five, six. Yeah. So, I mean, training the same body part to that intensity is, is more than you're going to want to be doing for sure. You're not going to, if you're having substantial breakdown during that period of time, you're not going to recover the next day. So if you were to focus on chest that day, back the next day, arms and shoulders the next day, legs the next day, or you could do a three day split, a four day split. But if you broke it up and really focused an hour on, on one to two body parts per day and then let them recover, you're going to have way better results. You're going to, and you're going to have less injuries. If you're lifting that heavy, on a regular basis. I haven't had injuries, luckily. Which is good, yeah. And, and the only reason, I, I said I have a shoulder injury because that was a motorcycle accident. Nice. Well, and as long as, if it's if it's not in the gym, that's good. But working those same the same body part that hard every single day, you know, it's only one, it's one exercise that you do for chest. Yeah, realistically. Day. Just it's bench. Only, yeah, it's just bench and then arms and then crunches. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not like super crazy, but it's just not going to be the prime way to do it. And it is still working that same range of motion over and over. The other thing is, if it's for aesthetic purposes, the, the straight bench is really low efficiency as far as hypertrophy to build the chest. For an aesthetic purpose, like upper chest is, is, is definitely a better way to go. So if you were to only train one or two exercises, always working in an incline, an incline press or an incline fly, you're going to really notice your chest starts to look a lot bigger too. So that's like one of the key things. A lot of people do flat bench because it's a great strength movement. It's a great functional movement, but it's not a great aesthetic movement. Pushing downwards, doing decline, you recruit more muscle fibers, and training incline gives you more of a perception. You're gonna start doing that. So those two things to consider is yeah, I, 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 I got a breakdown. I got a breakdown. Like like 
I always default to that, mm -hmm. and then I add, I always add this stuff, just real quick. So this would be like today's. Okay, but so today I went. We but today I went in the morning, and like I said, I did, uh, I did a little bit of bench. I did five minutes warm up on the stairmaster. Uh, I did arms. And then I went into the, the spinning class. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, a, a fine split for full body. You know, if you were training full body. Yeah, and I did a lot of squats. And yeah. this week, I did a lot of squats and lunges. Yeah. And I mean, there's people that, that, there's people that will push for, for full body. Most people that train for aesthetics don't prefer to train full body training. So yeah. most of our general consensus is you're going to spend a certain amount of time on that day to truly hit a muscle in all of its dimensions. You want to hit the, the muscle from the top, the side, the bottom. You want to really work that muscle. And then you want to give it time to rest. When you train full body, it doesn't give you enough time to break down each muscle efficiently from every angle, and it doesn't give it enough time to recover even if you did. So these are good for like overall fitness, somebody to, to just kind of... And that's what I want. I want overall... Yeah, if you want like aesthetic change, if you want your arms to get bigger or your shoulders to get bigger, you'd want to probably pull a little away from this and start I just focusing. I want 15 pounds, bro. Yeah, if it ain't... You know, the main thing about the resistance training is it's just going to help you keep your muscle <laughs> and keep your, your ability to eat more without gaining weight, your ability to keep the weight off. It's going to keep you firm too. So you're going to look better. Um, but the rest of it comes from diet. I mean, I used to do, I, I used to have to do all this cardio. I do no cardio now and got, and, and was maintaining super low body fat. It's just, it really is diet. Like diet is so freaking so freaking key. Like they say it's like what? 70% diet, 30% exercise. I mean, it's like, yeah, like mine, mine, as far as maintaining leanness has to be like 95% of it. You know, it's almost everything. My weight training is I'm burning some calories, but that's really. So what do you, what, what are you eating? What's your, what's your routine? Yeah. So, you know, normally in the morning I'll have either oatmeal with some protein powder or I'll have like a protein shake and I'll mix in some oats and some peanut butter or whatever, depending if I'm like running out the door. Before my, a workout. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife sometimes will make breakfast. So she'll make like these egg white McMuffins or whatever. So we'll have like a healthy breakfast like that. Um, and then usually I'll, I'll probably have another meal before I work out. And so we have meal, we meal prep two of our meals a day and then we make a couple of the meals a day. So we'll make like breakfast and dinner. The meals in the middle of the day that are meal prepped are like shredded chicken with some black beans, some cut up tomatoes, a little bit of corn, and then I'll have rice. And so those are just in a, in a Tupperware and I'll just basically eat those throughout the day. And then I'll throw in an extra protein shake. So I end up having, you know, two protein shakes a day and three to four meals. And most of the meals are protein and some form of a, of a healthy carb. And then I'll, I'll work in a little bit of fat. Mine, so you have like what, four or five meals a day? Yeah. And they're, they taste pretty good to me. Like the, the little yeah, you, you, pulled you, chicken you, with you the corn yeah, and the, delicious. Yeah, the black beans and stuff like that taste pretty good. Um, the breakfast, when she makes a little McMuffins, those things taste good. So um, we just kind of found like something that does, I don't feel like I'm dieting all the time and I don't feel super hungry, but I'm, I'm accurate on what I'm eating. And I know that if I eat that and I don't snack, I'm going to be in a calorie deficit. And then I know what I can add to just kind of maintain. So it's just made it now it's easier because I know exactly what I need to be eating. Is it interesting how like those boring foods become like delicious? Yeah. Like I, I go to, I go to like when I'm out and about, there's only two things that I really eat when I'm out and about in and out flying Dutchman. Oh yeah. Whole grilled onions with chilies. Yeah. The bomb. Yeah. And uh, Starbucks, but I'll do the turkey bacon or the turkey yep. egg. Yeah. Turkey bacon. Turkey egg bacon. Yeah. With egg. Yep. And it's, it, it looks so dull and so boring. It's only like 240 calories. Yeah. It looks so boring, but but I fucking like it. Yeah, that, that's where we went before this was was Starbucks. Like you can get the egg, the spinach feta wrap that's low calorie, the egg white bites. So I mean, you can they have 
good solutions for on the go. Like that's usually where I'll go. If I don't have breakfast, I'll go to Starbucks. You just have to make it fit into your, your calories and make sure that you're getting the equal amount of protein or, or balance it out if I eat when I'm out. But yeah, I mean, the diet's key is I always tell people to put it into perspective is like, you know, you know, you've probably had those nights where you eat too much and go, I'm going to burn it off tomorrow. You know, we all say that, like, I'm going to go to the yeah, gym and burn this right. off. So it's always really important for me to teach people that how impossible that is, is I'll ask people like, what's a normal cheat meal for you? You know, would you say a burger and fries? Like, yeah, yeah, that would be pretty normal. Pizza, burger, fries, something like that. Cool. Five guys, burger, fries, and a shake is more calories than you could burn running an entire marathon. And so when what you, is it like 2,400, 36, so you burn about a hundred calories per mile on average. Most people when they're, when they're running at that type of pace. So this is obviously very averaged out over a lot of people, but say you burn about 36, um, hundred calories. It's more than that. That meal is more than that. And so a lot of people, one, don't realize how calorie dense some of these meals are that they're eating. And they just think of it like a burger and fries and they don't realize that could be two days worth of calories that you're eating in one meal. More for most people. Yeah. And so, but it's also a really good thing to think of, like, are you going to go run a full marathon for that? Like, since you know you're not, and that puts it into perspective, the goal is to train people to understand that mindset never works. You can't, it's so easy to eat the calories and it's so difficult to burn them. You're never going to reach that imbalance. So if you overeat, you're overeating. You're not going to the gym the next day to burn that off. It just isn't going to happen. So you have and to accept that And if you do, you have to do like three, four hours of workout yeah. to kind of even... Well, yeah, that's why I put into that perspective is saying, cool, if you ate that meal, you'd have to go and run a full marathon. And people are like, I couldn't even run a marathon. It's like, right. So like that puts it into perspective how key diet is. If you're not going to hit your calorie goals and your idea is to go work it off, that's why you're maintaining this weight or gaining weight because that perception is off and you're never, you're never truly burning those calories off. Unless it's one handful of something. But if you're eating, like if, when I go off, like you said, you go off, like if I'm eating something, I'm eating it. So I know when I go off on that, it well, has that's to why be, I avoid it at full cost. Yeah. It like, has to be a time where I can have an allowance for it and just know that that's what I'm doing. I'm on vacation or whatever the deal is. And I'm going to accept the repercussions of that. Yeah. Like, like the worst thing I'll usually carry at home is, you know, fucking dark chocolate or something. And I got yeah. my, I got my kid hooked on dark chocolate and that's good. You know, so, and I'm big on that too, is if you can don't have it at the house, if you go to our house, we don't have a bunch of bad stuff just because I work from home too. So like I have a habit of just walking to the pantry, walking to the fridge. Like you put something in there, it's going to make it harder yeah. for me not to eat it. It's not saying that I necessarily will, but there's going to be times where, where I may. So it's just easier for us. We just don't keep anything in the house if we don't have to. It's harder when you have kids and other stuff too. Of if they course. Have stuff, but <laughs> yeah. So for us, we're lucky we don't got any kids, so I can just kind of put in there what I want. Yeah. But yeah, it's way, it's way harder because I was just talking to a buddy of mine right now. I go, dude, because he's having a hard time. Like he's kicking ass at, at the gym, but he eats, you know. No, and he's doing good overall. Yeah, but I was telling him, dude, you have it so easy. I have a kid. Like I have to, I have to suppress what I want to buy. Like I want to buy like you know fucking chocolates and this that yeah, that. Yeah. And and I sometimes do it, but then I'll convince my son like, hey, do you want me to buy this baguette? Oh like, yeah, Papa, I don't want a baguette. <laughs> you I'll sure? Ma I'll make you a sandwich. Right. And he's like, no, I don't want to like sandwiches. <laughs> yes, Papa, you do. But I'm gonna make you one you can't refuse. And then I'm buying a baguette. And yeah. I'm like fucking eating the baguette by myself. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. And I'll buy my my cheat meals or or the the junk that I buy like stuff like that will be because I convinced my son that maybe I'll make it for him. Yeah. But I end up eating it. I love it. I like, hear like the perfect bars. You know the perfect bars. Yeah. Yeah. He used to eat those. He doesn't eat those now. But you're like, maybe he will, but, but you'll keep buying them. Dude, I just bought a four-pack and just downed them in four yeah. days. I was like, fuck. 
fuck, man. There's so many clients we'll talk to that say that, and they say the other big thing is picking from the kid's plate, too, if they don't finish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've gotten into habit. I know it sounds terrible, but I don't think it's terrible. I've gotten to the habit, like, when enough's enough. If you can't save the food, you got to trash it. You yeah. just got to fucking trash it, dude. Like, you know, yeah. like, like... That mentality, because I was raised like there's people starving yeah, in other countries, sure. and blah blah. Finish your food, and it's like, oh okay, you're forcing food. Like that's why I stopped eating breakfast. I stopped eating breakfast because I, I didn't want to eat breakfast. Right. I was just eating breakfast because it's the most important right. meal of the day, which is bullshit. Right. Your first meal of the day is the most important meal right. of the day, but it doesn't have to be breakfast. Right. Or you can have breakfast at two a.m. two yep. p.m. So I stopped eating breakfast like realistically i don't know like five six years ago because yeah. i just didn't I, I just didn't feel like i wanted to eat breakfast yeah and i do the same thing i eat breakfast but yeah it's later i wake up and i do other stuff before i eat my first meal just because i'm not hungry yeah do yeah. you do any intermittent fasting intermittent fasting i've done it in the past and it's worked good for me um the times that i did it i felt pretty good but the issue would be going into a workout i usually felt pretty crappy and yeah. so that was for me i think uh, uh, and mine's more on the extreme end of the spectrum is there's a higher glycogen requirement through a workout that you have to have a certain amount of glycogen stores or you're going to have a really flat workout. And so for me was that period of time of not consuming anything, it really made me feel flat during my workouts. But I don't think, I think for a lot of people, they probably wouldn't have that same side effect if they didn't have a lot of lean tissue that needed that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a lot of clients that I suggest it to lifestyle wise, nurses, other people like that, like it can work around schedules really nicely. So it ends up being a good alternative to, to a lot of other dieting, if it kind of fits your schedule and the way that you feel in the morning. Like you said, it's, yeah. if you don't like to eat breakfast. Yeah, don't force it. Right. Uh, we're going to change subject real quick. Cars. Uh, I, you had a post where you were driving a car so fast that your passenger, like, jumped out and threw up. And <laughs> what, what was that? What was going on? What yeah, were that, you driving? That was our boy, our boy Rob here that introduced us. That's so right. He, uh... He I, did. I didn't want to say names, uh, yeah. just for the yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. Hold so. on. Hold on. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Silly guy. <laughs> oh, the laugh button really the got me. Oh. Okay, so he had hit me up and said, uh, I, "I've got I, I've got a lot of cars. I love cars, and but I don't uh, I don't really use them. I tend to." find excuses to stay at home and work. So he kind of helps me and he'll find different little things and be like, we're going to go to this. So he had said, we're going to, we're going to hit up this event. So we went to it and we meet at a gas station and Ben Baller's there. And he's like, cool. Like you can drive good. And I'm like, I guess like what's happening. I thought this was like a cars and coffee kind of thing. He's yeah. like, no, this is a, this is a quick strike. We're going to get on the freeway. We're going to be flying. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be hauling ass. So I was like, okay. So I was like, what'd you get us into? He's like, I don't know. So all these cars show up and uh, have you ever been to any of his stuff before? Mm, no. He's got like, when he has people come out, like they're cr the craziest cars. He, there were five Bugattis there. So I was already like a, a kid in a candy store. I was looking at all these cars um, and I kind of thought that was the event. And then they're like, cool, here's what's going to happen. The police are going to escort us onto the freeway and we're going to get on the freeway. By the time we hit the, the, the actual freeway, we should be at around 140. And I'm like, what the heck's going on right now? What's happening? I'm like, well, this is an open freeway. <laughs> sure enough, dude, like, I don't know if they pay the police because there's police on the side of the road. And they tell us if you stay in the pack, you won't get pulled over. But if you trail what? off, if you trail off, you're going to get pulled. If you get pulled over, you're going to get you're going to be in trouble. 
So I'm like thinking to myself, do they like, do they pay the police? I'm just so confused what's even happening. But I was like, if this is an opportunity to legitimately just fly down the freeway and they've, they've got, you know, they've got this set up, let's go for it. So yeah, we, we were there. There was a, I think it was a Ferrari F12 that was like supercharged or twin turbo that was shooting fire at like 160 that was shooting flames out of the tailpipes at like 160. Wild. There was just some wild cars and we were probably, we were in my Huracan and we were probably going 170 a lot of the time and cars just blowing by us, flying by us. So it was, it, he was excited at first, but it was like, I like to drive, but it was, it was a butt puckering experience because you're on open roads and I'm, I'm really not even sure what we're doing. Um, and by the time, you know, we end up stopping or whatever, they're just like, yeah, this is what we do. They call it a, a quick strike and they go out and they basically just go one destination to the next. They didn't say how they arrange it that we don't get pulled over, but we pulled into the parking lot and he was just like, just from the adrenaline and from everything else, he ended up throwing up in the parking lot and was, was feeling pretty sick. So it yeah, was uh, at those speeds. I think anybody would fucking probably be throwing up as a passenger, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. Um, they had Lewis Hamilton in a C63 drifting the freeway. So the, the people that they've had at these events are pretty wild. And he networks, obviously, really well with a lot of different people. So we've only been to one of them. But I, I would imagine all of them are probably pretty pretty crazy experiences that people have to so speak about. So what's the car requirement? I don't even know. He ended up, he listens to his podcast and he DM'd him. That one's okay. Okay. Yeah. He ended up DMing him and just... He said, what cars does he have? And he sent him some of the cars. And he said, cool, bring any of them or whatever. Meet us at this gas station. So I'm not really sure how it works. Or Why does he have pictures of your cars? I'm kidding. <laughs> what is Rob? <laughs> Rob's got yeah. them all on standby. He's, he's got a Tinder account. Yeah, he's, all, he's, he's like, this is me. Yeah, so. Yeah, he's like, Larry, can I visit you? He, he's always working the angles. But yeah, yeah so, so it worked that, that, out. Worked out good. It was, it, it was a, a, a fun experience. I don't know that I'd do it every weekend. But definitely something that was cool. Yeah, and the rest of the cars are just... I've got a, a super, the one that I'm finishing building now is a super light SLC. So that's a component car that was built for like Le Mans. Uh, it ended up breaking the track record there and people started wanting the car for the aesthetics of it. And so somebody ended up making it street legal and then a handful of other people started following. Um, and I've got another car that we were doing roll racing and half mile events with. And we really wanted to try to go after the rear wheel drive half mile world record for top speed. And so that car is like really built kind of for that is it's super aerodynamic it weighs like 2300 pounds um so we kind of went down this crazy rabbit hole a few years ago Bought, had the car we ended up getting a fully built forged lsx put into it the guys that have you heard of the tuatara before it's a it's a it's a hyper car that's supposed to supposedly holds the world record right now for um for a production car for top speed um but is it those custom builders in texas they have um, Nelson racing engines built their built the motor, and then they had these guys uh, build the transmission where they took a Graziano transmission from a Lamborghini, and they basically fully build it, but then they use Robotronics on it. So it's like this really cool kind of hybrid concept where it's not a dual dual clutch transmission; it's a straight manual, but they put like a robe like basically this moving component that's that's. Robotronic or whatever they call it. And it has its own ECU. And so this manual transmission is on basically like a hydraulic and it's, it, it shifts on its own at certain, certain points or on the paddle. And so it's really strong and it holds up really well, but it can, it can still shift as quickly as like an automatic, like a dual clutch. 
So we put that motor or that transmission in it. Um, and we put two big twin turbos on it and it's a, a big intake. It just got running a couple weeks ago. So we're hoping to have it, have it out at a few events to kind of shake it down. But that one, we want to try to go after the, the rear wheel drive world record and go to like TX2K and do like roll racing. And then I have another one that's a, a Corvette Z06 that is 15, 1600 horsepower. And have you heard of the Valara before? 1600 horsepower? Yeah, maxed out the dyno at Church's Automotive. So they maxed out the dyno. We were going to go over to uh, one of the Lamborghini shops was going to let us use their dyno, but we haven't. We didn't take it over there before we started doing the kit on it. But we're estimating at the boost level, it's about 1600. But that same car did TX2K roll race like four years ago and was the only Corvette to make the semifinals. So it's, it was already a really good performing car before I upgraded anything to it. The idea with that car was how do I have something really unique that's also exotic and really fast that you don't see all the time. So Valara has built this kit. It's a rebody for the C6 Corvette. So it makes a C6 kind of look like a cross between a Ferrari F12 and you know, maybe kind of like the new Lamborghini. So it's kind of this wild exotic look, but underneath it i have a 1600 horsepower you know eight eight cylinder twin turbo motor so instead of going off to buy like a regular ferrari i was kind of like i want something that would be different and unique so that one's finalizing the body uh the rebody right now so both of those hopefully are going to be done in the next few months and it'll be super fun toys to you're, you're, add. you're deep in these cars huh? oh it, it's it's a problem yeah and it, it's my wife's like just buy something normal everything has to be a, a fucking project but yeah we've got a a dsm um that, that basically I bought for them to do quarter mile racing, my sister and, and my wife. And so that's at a shop in Texas being finalized too. So that, that one will be like all quarter mile stuff, but we have, I have a uh, 67 Eleanor Mustang. Um, yeah. So that, that's like one that I'll keep forever. Um, you have to, yeah. I got a Porsche, uh, GT three RS 4.0. Um, wow. I, yeah. I've got a bunch. Of, I, I got a bunch of cars, way too many cars, big problems with cars. <laughs> That's insane, man. Yeah, yeah. So we have lifts all in the garage. So the, the whole garage, it's got lifts in it to try to fit all the cars in there. You have a separate but, warehouse or is this like getting at home? No, this is at home. Yeah. So it's it's definitely definitely a problem, but I don't buy anything else. So that's it. That's like my one vice is cars. Yeah, some people, you know, fucking murder people. Right. Other people do drugs. I try to tell my wife. buy cars. I know? try to tell my wife. It's better than drugs. She's like, not really. It'd be cheaper. You know? So I don't know. She's, <laughs> she's like, at this point, I don't even know. But yeah, it's... That's, I think that that's one of those things where when I was that kid and I talked about that Lamborghini Countach poster, to me, the cars are so much more than just like, they're not, they're not a status symbol. They're not these things that you pull up to the club and make it rain on. It's like, I go out to the garage and just sit by myself and look at them or sit in them. Like I, I have a deeper appreciation because I think that they, they represent art to me. They're beautiful. I love being in them. I love the sound of the engine. But at the same time, they also remind me of who I am. There's days that I've gone in and I remember years ago, the founder of Zappos had came into our space, into the like boutique gym space. And I had done a podcast and they asked like, are you worried? And I was like, I was like, no, like I'm not worried. Like he should be worried because I, this is all I've done is eat, breathe, sleep and shit this for years. So he should be worried about what I'm able to do. And the more that I thought about it after the podcast, I started kind of getting concerned. You know, I started kind of going like he, he's a, he's a brilliant dude. He's coming into this space. And I remember I kind of went to the garage and was looking at the cars and it was just kind of a, rem a reminder of like, these were things that were, that were impossible to achieve not that long ago when you, you didn't even know anyone that had any of this stuff. This was stuff that other people in another world attained. 
you were able to go out and do that. So why can't you beat this guy? Like, you know, why can't you compete with this guy at this level? So I feel like to me, they're, they're kind of like just a reminder of what I'm capable of. So when I'm in them, it's like, I can go for this drive and it's this visceral feeling of being able to, to feel the engine and drive in the car. But it's also this reminder of like, you know, if you're having doubts, you were able to accomplish this. Why the fuck can't you go out and do that? So it's a big accomplishment, man. It, for me is like, it feels like a personal major accomplishment. Like, when I bought my Ferrari, I remember as a kid, I think as a kid, when you picture your dream car, it always has the ocean. I, I feel like that. It's like you're driving by the ocean. It's just like the utopian kind of idea of this, the super paradise. Car. Yeah, paradise. You're driving down the road and you're in this really cool car. So as a kid, I would always daydream. And that was a lot why they would say I had ADD, but I would daydream about that. Oh man, I'd love to be in the Lamborghini or the Ferrari and driving down the, the, the beach. And the guy I bought it from owned a liquor store off PCH. So when I bought it, I, it literally was like the dream that I'd always had of driving down, driving down the beach in this dream car. And I just remember like, it was this crazy feeling of accomplishment. Like just felt, it, it felt like you went out and you did something that was impossible. Like you could do anything. And I think that's some of the things that maybe we don't give credit to ourselves for or view in that perspective where it kind of cheats us is we just see it as this, this purchase or this trip that we went on. If we always dream to go somewhere, and it's not a true reflection of what we've accomplished. And I think that that's kind of robbing us a lot of the time. So I try to like remind myself regularly. Well, you, you do run into the problems where you have uh, surface goals, you know, right. like, like some people will be like, oh, I want a Ferrari. Right. But not, it's not because it was their childhood dream. For sure. It's because they have the money and now they want a Ferrari. Right. And then after like a week, they're like, eh, I don't even buy sure. it. You know, like, for example, that happens a lot with motorcycles. Yeah. People Just go as crazy. A toy. They buy a motorcycle. Then it's a dude that's had the motorcycle for five years and he has yep. a thousand miles on it. And you're like, you didn't really want to ride. You just got that just to say you for got sure. That. Yeah. <laughs> I think to that point is you're going to have that group of people for sure, which are probably a larger group. But the other group, I think I do see people it that achieve real, yeah. yeah, achieve real goals, but still allow them to pass by. And it's like, that should still excite you. I had gone to the Galleria and they parked one of my cars like behind the Stansons and I walked up and there was a group of people around it. And there was a guy who was like, oh, I love this color. I was like, me too. It's my favorite color. And we were talking for like maybe two or three minutes. And then the valet came over to give me the keys. And the guy was like, you were talking to me about this car like you're a fan of the car, not like you own the car. I was like, I am a fan of the car. That's why I have it. I love it. I appreciate it like you do. Like, I feel like a lot of the time you'll talk to somebody and they have a beautiful car or a beautiful bike. And it's like this expectation to be casual about it. Like, oh, it's whatever. You know, I've got these. And it's like, why not have that excitement? I'm, I am excited about it. I love yeah. it. I'm still a fan of it. Um, but I think it's like, the, it's not cool to be excited about it. It's cool to be casual. I'm like, no, like, this is fucking awesome. No, I am awesome. a fan of it like you. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think it keeps you appreciating it. When you stay a fan of it, which is that conundrum, can you still want something once you've had it, you know? And so that's always something that, that I've looked at is I don't think that you truly can, but you can stay close to it. Once you have it, it is slightly different than the want. But if you continuously remind yourself of why you wanted it and why you should appreciate it, then you can continue having a comparable type of feeling towards it. And that's what happens with the bikers, the bikers that build out their bikes every week and they pull in somewhere and it's like, hey, nice bike. Oh, yeah, I did this. I did this to the yep. brakes. I did this to the bars. I did this, yep. this is a different seat. I ordered this, 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 this. I tell people, keep that. Keep that childhood excitement. I think that acting cool, like, I do feel like it's a weird thing is if somebody pulls up and you tell them nice car and they're like, I love it too. It's like, they feel like they're not supposed to respond that way. Just thank you. Like, okay, that's nice. Like, I'm going to keep it casual. But it's interesting because some people will take that as, um, as being, I don't know, like, not, not conceited, but like, well, if you were like, yeah, it's way better than yours for no, sure. No, 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 but <laughs> but like, if you were just like, yeah, dude, like, here's what I did to it. Let me show you this. Like, this is why I love this color too. There was this other color. Let me share it. I think that there's, 
you know, us, especially as guys, we know when somebody's trying to one up you or, or, you know, he's got some braggadocio and there's a difference between someone who's genuinely excited about something. And I think, but that, I think some people take it a certain way, you know, yeah. like, like I've been excited about certain things. I'll be like, Oh yeah, this has, this is like, I, I, I picked up two years ago, a model S. Uh-huh. Okay. It's fucking zero to 60 and so fast. You know, it's yeah. an electric car. Yeah. And and people are like, well, how is it? You know? And I'm like, it's pretty fucking awesome. It's zero to 60. It does the little fart sounds. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, like I, I do the funny things with my kid and then I do the funny things that it's fast. And then people are like, oh, okay, yeah. And I get that vibe where they're just like, I'm like, did I come off like I'm fucking like bragging yeah. about it? Like, it's well, fucking cool, dude. It's fucking, dude, it, as, it's cool. Some of those people are people that genuinely aren't really happy for you you know so that that's kind of the thing too is those people may out be looking for a reason to hate because while they said congratulations most of them are right while they said congratulations they're kind of like you know i wish that i had that or i don't so that's a whole different whole different situation but i do think that there's a fine line but i i know that when i see someone and if if i compliment something like let me show you this let me show you that or oh this is i can feel that vibe like you're passionate about this and then you can tell the difference when they're like yeah it's the fucking best and you're like "Mm, you're probably a dick right Right. (laughs) but i do think that you're going to have that group of people, whether you act casual or you emphasize it, they're just not going to be happy. But to your point, if you do emphasize it, it gives them more room to hate on you if they were looking for yeah, a reason. Of course. <laughs> no, they're, they're always going to be there. Uh, we're, way, we're way over an hour. Uh, I think with the other thing, we're like an hour and a half. Oh, dang. Okay. Uh, what's your social media page? What's your website? Where can people find you? And, and I would love to have you back on and talk cars one yeah. day just cars uh, or maybe go and check out one of your cars and do like a, the cause i want to do like the ride boundless ride yeah you know where i just go check out people's bikes or cars yeah. or something like that so we can do that Let's but do where it. can people find you and uh get a hold of you or yeah yeah my social media my instagram is hardcore fit larry and uh bulletproof fitness equipment is for the equipment page um and then hardcore fitness boot camp so they can find kind of all of our locations on that instagram page um but yeah i respond a lot through my personal social media so they can easily hit me up there but yeah and i'd love to jump on with something else too if you you know check out the cars whatever any 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 idea anything any reason to get together and do a podcast and ask you to turn off your phone and just fucking have a conversation let's go i'm down me too i love it thank you larry yeah yeah thank you rob for doing this